Here's my question. Where do you go if you need to know something? If you need to, what's that? You go to the library. Is that true? Caven goes to the library. How do you get there? I'm going to give you more questions. How do you get to the library? That's okay. I'll just, that's just going to be a one-word answer. I thought you were going to say mom and dad. So that's okay. Good job. Thank you. Uh, Blaine, uh, let's just say, where, where do you go if you need to, to know something or you need to learn something? How do you, you go to the library. Okay. Um, how about this? What if your dad says, here's this calf I want you to take care of. And this calf is laying down and he's not moving. He's acting like he's sick and you have no idea what to do. You didn't go to the library to get that answer? Okay, where are you going to go to get that answer? Your dad. Okay. Now, what if your dad doesn't know the answer? What are you going to do? Are you just going to give up on the calf or are you going to keep searching? And where are you going to go next? Uncle Scott, you're going to go to Dana? Go to Grandpa? You're going to go anywhere else, right, to get your answer. Okay, good job. Caleb, uh, where are you going to go to try to find the answer? Let's say you're taking, you're having a math, uh, you have a math question. Wait a second. You have a math question, you have no idea how to do your math problem, and you've got to get the right answer. Where are you going to go for that answer? You're going to go to the teacher. What if the teacher doesn't know the answer? Okay, here, how about this? Let me back up here. So you're going to go to your teacher for the... You're going to go to your teacher for the math question, and are you going to follow her advice to do the problem, or are you going to guess and do something completely different? You're going to follow her advice. Okay, good job. Okay, I'm going to sneak up here with you. Uh, uh, what type of do you want to know about? Do you want to know about the Seahawks? No, not the Seahawks. You want to know about the Vikings? No? Okay. Okay, so what, let's just say you wanted to know about the Vikings. Where would you go to find the answers about the Vikings? Would you go to Dad? Yes? Don't know? Okay, here you go. Thank you. There you go. Good job. Okay. Um, where would you go if you wanted to know something? Like if you had a math problem you didn't know how to do, where would you go? Go to mom. Sorry, dad. Go to mom. And what if your mom didn't know the answer? What would you do? Would you just get the problem wrong? Okay. Probably. Okay, at least maybe that's honest. Okay, there you go. Good job. This is real easy. Anybody else want to come up here and get some candy? Okay, um, let's just say you're reading a book. You like to read? Okay, let's say you're reading a book and there's a big word that you have no idea how to pronounce it. What are you going to do to learn how to pronounce it? My dad. Gonna go to dad. Okay, what if your would you would you um, if your dad told you how to pronounce that big word one way, would you do it the way he said to you or a different way? The way he said. Wait, okay. This is really easy. This is these are smart kids. Okay, where would you go if you wanted to know something? Google. Google. You know Google's gonna have the answers. Okay, there you go. Where are you gonna go if you want to know something? Like if you want to know how to take care of a little puppy, where are you gonna go? Your mom and dad, are you going to do what they tell you to do, or are you going to do something completely different? Good job. Okay. You know what? You get a piece of candy just because you showed up, okay? There you go, bud. Oops. Oh. oh, here. Let me trade you. There you go. Okay. Do you like to cook? Bake or something? Okay. What if you're, you're following a recipe, and you've got to make this recipe from small to really big, and you've got to change it from, like, three tablespoons to a whole cup? 
Do you know how to do that? Let's just say you didn't know how to do that. <laughs> Where would you go for the answer? You'd go to Google. Okay, there you go. All right. Spoken out of the mouths of babes, you get all the truth in the world. Just go to Google. Okay. You know, we as adults will do the same thing, hopefully. If you don't know something, you're going to search out the answer. And you might go to Google. Um, you might go to your wife. You might go to your kids. Every time... I have a electronic problem or issue, I go straight to Noah because I don't know what to do. And do you think that when I ask Noah an answer about what to do with the electronics or do you think I listen to him or do you think I say, no, I'm going to do my own, my own thing? I'm going to listen to him, right? Because I have no idea. Mostly I just say, you take care of it. But if I have a question, I'm going to go and try to find the answers. You guys get it. If you're going to be wise in this world, if you need to know something, if you have a topic of interest, I know Scott's just dying to know about the Seahawks, so after church we can discuss this, you go to the correct source. And when you hear the answers, you change your life accordingly. You put up that big poster. You put it right over the other poster, right? When you find that, when you find that answer, you live your life accordingly. And the same thing is true of the things of God's Word. Wise men seek Jesus. And then wise men... They change your life accordingly. Uh, they don't just say, thank you for the information and I'm doing something completely different. They say, okay, this is what you say. This is what I'm going to do. And that's what we're going to look at today. Wise men seek Jesus. Wise men follow what Jesus tells them to do. And then wise men worship Jesus. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, as we look at the, the literal wise men and how we can be wise men as well. So Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 8. And just keep in mind, wise men seek Jesus. Matthew 2, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 8. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So you think about wise men. We're going to be looking at the, the, the sincerely wise men and the insincerely wise man. Okay, so first of all, the sincerely, the sincere wise men. They were magi. Uh, back in history, if you go to the book of Daniel, you can find out that they existed at that point. And they were more known for people who could interpret dreams. Uh, but the term magi covers a wide variety of men uh, who, are who could interpret dreams, who were astrologers, who are interested in magic or books with a mysterious reference to the future. So when you think magi, you're just thinking of people who are kind of out there who are uh, into, uh, you can take it the right way or the wrong way, like following the stars. Some people try to get their horoscopes. They try to plan their future based off of that. That's not the kind of magi, the astrologers that these guys were. And these guys, they followed a star. Now, we don't really know how the connection came that they said, oh, that's the star, this is where it's going to lead us, and we need to follow it. We don't have that kind of information. 
And the star itself, a lot of people have made a lot of guesses as to what was going on with the star, as if it was an asteroid. Because around that time in history, there's an asteroid going across the sky, and people say that's what it was. Some people say it was an angel that was slowly going across the sky, and they, the wise men are following this angel until it stopped. My personal guess is it was a star. Now, I know it's like, wait a second, stars don't do that today. But I want you to think about, what do you, how did Noah get the animals in the ark? Did he have to go wrestle the rhinoceros and grab the tiger by the tail and drag these animals onto the boat? No, they came to him. So God, who can control the animals, can certainly control a star who's going to lead the wise men over to where Jesus is. Um, even last week, we talked a little bit about the millennium. We're going to have the lion laying down with the lamb. They're gonna, you're going to have the cobra. The little kid can go play with the cobra, and it's not going to bite him. Well, that seems like a pretty crazy thing, too. But if the God who can keep the animals from biting people and making the lamb being able to lie down with the, the lion can definitely keep this little star glowing and moving across the sky in order to get the wise men to where Jesus was. Was it literally a star? I don't know. I'm just going to accept that that was what it was because that's what it says. I did find out that... Um, I think in looking about at these wise men, that they, if there were three of them, the history gives them a name. Um, Melkin, Belshazzar, and Gaspar. So when you guys do a Christmas trivia quiz, maybe remember that and you'll be better off for, for it's really just pointless extra information that I wanted to share. But if there were exactly three, that's the name that they're credited with having. Now these guys, the wise men, they were studying the skies. They were, they're looking, uh, probably night after night, there's, there's not TV, there's not football, there's not all the distractions that we have. If you guys went out every night, you could see the most beautiful sky, and I think the whole planet is in Montana. You have all the stars everywhere. It's just the big sky country, and that's exactly what it is. The astrologers, they probably had a sky like that. They, they looked up, and they were studying the stars, and they somehow noticed that this star was different. It wasn't there before. It was moving across the sky, and somehow they knew that they were supposed to follow it. But that takes a lot of work. They had to plan. They had to prepare. Uh, they, in order to just go, I mean, think about the last vacation that you took, or if you're on one right now. Did you just hop in the car and go? No way. It takes, it takes days of figuring out and packing and discovering what else I'm going to need to go on this trip. And so the wise men, they had to plan ahead. They had to get all their resources together and, before that they can go. Then they had to, to finance their trip. You know, I've got to make sure I have enough food. I have enough uh, finances along the way. So if I've got to stop and swap out an animal, or if i got to feed my animals, or if I need to eat myself, I have the resources that I need. And then they had to bring the gifts, those three wonderful gifts for Jesus that they had not, they hadn't even met Jesus before, but they're bringing him three expensive gifts. And the wise men, they were seeking Jesus, and they were very hopeful, and they were excited to give him the gifts that they wanted to bring. They were excited to worship him. They were sincerely seeking Jesus. Well, then you have this other guy by the name of King Herod, who is seeking Jesus as well. And he is not sincere in this. I mean, he was sincere in the fact that he wanted to know where Jesus was. He, he, he had very great concerns about who Jesus was. He says, I even know where to go to find the answers. He, he went and talked to the people, his chief priest and teachers of the law, and said, where is this little dude supposed to be born? Because uh, I need to see this guy. I need to make sure this guy is taken care of. He desperately wanted to know. It says that um, he was disturbed over this news. Well, there's lots of reasons why he could have been disturbed um, or why he was distressed uh, because, first of all, it was a competing king. This was king of the Jews, and he's expecting that he's going to have to take out this king 
in order to keep his throne. He was a sick man who was willing to, to eliminate whatever threat to the throne that there was. But also, when you think about the number of people who probably came with the wise men, it was probably not like your bulletin shows with three wise men on a, a camel. There was probably a lot more people. You think, when, when they're going through town, and this is, this is something that a commentary has told me, but you're going through town, three people is not going to make much of an uproar. I mean, we have people that are families of, of way twice as big as that, right? Walking through town is not going to be a shock to anybody's system. But if you have three kings or, or multiple kings and you have a, a, a bunch of servants and you have a bunch of soldiers around you all on horseback, it's going to make quite a picture. It's going to make, bring a lot of fear to people. And so King Herod could be afraid that, oh no, war is coming and I am not ready. And then you have the, the, the fear that, I mean, this war could be coming imminently. It, it could be like right now, I'm not ready, and, and we're going to be in big trouble. But the people, they were also distressed. Well, maybe they were distressed for the same thing. They could have been distressed at this great crowd of armed soldiers coming through town to go see the king. That would be pretty alarming for the people. But they were also, I think, afraid because they knew what Herod was like. They knew that he had got rid of a wife or two and some kids who were a threat to the throne. And... So they, there's a lot of people who are afraid of what these people are. What do these people mean? And you find out that their, their fears are justified. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, after Jesus is born, after Jesus is, and his parents have left, Herod gets mad and he goes and he tries to kill all the baby boys who he thinks were born about the same time Jesus was. And so the people's fears were justified. They said, I am afraid of what this king is like. And so they, they were afraid. Wise men. They sought Jesus. These three wise men, just because of, just because they're the ones, they traveled for miles and miles. They followed a star. They got together servants. They got together gifts. And they said, we are going to find out where this Jesus is, and we're going to give him these things, and we're going to worship him. Wise men sought Jesus then. What do you think wise men do now? They seek Jesus. It's a little bit different because you can't get on your horse, or you can't walk through town and say, hey, there goes Jesus I'm going with him. There's, there's a little bit different meaning, but wise men seek Jesus. And I hope that, you know, you can look out here and see that there are a lot of wise people. You know, I think about the people who come to know the Lord as their Savior. Now, I came to know the Lord as a little kid, and my, my parents told me I was like five years old, and I told you I was the Awana kid who kept raising his hand week after week until the time I was 11. Then I finally said, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm doing it now, and if it's not now, it's not ever. Because I felt like, by that point, I was confident of my salvation. But I know not everybody has that same story. Some of you have gotten saved later in life. Wise men seek Jesus. You, when you heard the gospel, did you just say, okay, I'm going to believe it right off the bat, which is completely normal for some people. But some people say, you know what, I need a little bit more information. You know, there's lots of religions out there. There's lots of teachings that people say, this is how you get to heaven. And so wise men say, I'm going to search out those answers. I want to know that what I am believing is really true. And so they'll dig in the scriptures, they'll talk to people, and they'll try to determine what is the right way to salvation. Wise men seek Jesus for salvation, but wise men also seek Jesus for how to live for Jesus. You know, there's, there's a lot of you here who are, are the wise people who are here to try to seek Jesus. You know, because in order to, to seek Jesus, you have to do certain things. You've got to open up your Bible at some point in your life to read it. You got to go to the radio. You got to click it on. You guys all had to get dressed. 
And you had to walk up the drive to town, walk up the stairs, come sit in this pew in order to hear from Jesus. I say wise people. You have online that people do. But at some point, you're seeking Jesus when you're seeking what does God's word say and, and so that you know how to live by it. But you're seeking Jesus. That makes you wise. But there's also insincere people. There's also insincere people who are, who are seeking Jesus. You know, there's, there's so much evidence. If you, if you do your research, if you seek Jesus, there's so much evidence that will prove to you, if you're willing to believe it, that Jesus did exist, that all the things that Jesus did in the Bible are true. I mean, all the places throughout history, um, other secular sources such as Josephus will prove so much about what Jesus, is, what Jesus has said. Um, but there's some people who say, I'm going to step over this great big mount of evidence and look for some little pebble that I think is false and say, I can't believe the Bible is true because of this little thing that they feel like is a contradiction. It's not, but that's how they look at it and they say, I can't believe it because of this little pebble. They're, they're looking for Jesus, but they're not looking to say, I want to believe in Jesus. They're looking for an excuse not to believe in Jesus. They're looking for an excuse to try to prove that he is false. There's a couple men in history that have... Uh, who have, who have tried to done this, and it, it didn't turn out the way they expected. Um, a guy by the name of Josh McDowell, he, his goal was to try to prove that Christianity was wrong. Anybody know the name Josh McDowell? He's one of the greatest apologists who ever lived. He's got a, a really thick book, and I think a second one, on proving Jesus. His son is, is doing the same thing. Uh, there's another guy by the name of Lee Strobel, uh, who, if you've seen the movie Case for Christ, his goal was to prove that Jesus didn't exist. His wife got saved, at least according to the movie, his wife got saved. His whole purpose was to try to get her out of that, to prove that Jesus was not real, that Jesus did not die on a cross. And he kind of came to the realization that that's true. Jesus really did, in fact, exist. So some people will search for a reason not to believe in Jesus. I think people will get bit by it and say, you know what, I have to believe that Jesus is really true and that he has really existed. But the Bible does talk about people who always hear but they're never willing to acknowledge the truth. And I think it's people who, who just keep looking, they keep searching, but they're never willing to just stop and say, okay, I have enough. I'm going to put my faith in this and say that this is true. I'm going to stake my whole life on this, but they just cannot do this. They cannot have the faith in order to do that. Wise men sought Jesus however long ago. Wise men seek Jesus today. But wise men also take what Jesus has said and they put it into practice. And wise men also worship Jesus, verses 9 through 12. Talking about the, the wise men, it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. Wise men worshipped Jesus. And that's what they did then. You know, the star, the, the star appeared over Jerusalem. The, the wise men talked to Herod. He talked to his people. And I imagine that took a couple of days in order for them to get back to Herod, to get back to the wise men. Um, maybe it was the same night. Maybe that star just continued and the wise men kept following. Maybe they had to just hang out in town for a couple days. But then the star appeared and then they kept going until they got over the place where the child was. We really don't know. And I don't, uh, I, I told you, I mean, my brother made this uh, bulletin cover. I told you last week that I don't do any electronic things. And I, I was totally happy with it, even though, like I said, I don't think it's correct. I don't think 
Uh, there's just three wise men. I don't think they came to Jesus in the manger. I don't think that's when they showed up as much as it makes for a great nativity. It, make, it makes for a fine Christmas card. I don't think that's the way it was. Uh, a couple of different reasons was it says the child. Uh, they went and they brought their gifts to the child. Now, in the, as that's usually referred to in the Bible, that's a toddler age. That's not going to be an infant that was just born that, um, that they went to go see. Um, they found him in a house. That, you think about your house. You don't, you don't call your, your barn your house. You don't call stable your house. You call your house a house. We live in the parsonage next door. It's a house. Joseph and Mary at this time are living in a house when the shepherds show up. Uh, the, the, the other thing was the fact that, um, you know, Bethlehem is only six miles from Jerusalem. And the timing of Jesus going to Beth, or of the wise men going to Bethlehem and finding him is not going to take that long. I mean, it, it takes six miles to get there. It's, it's got a city or a town. I don't know how many people are in it, but word's going to get around quickly. If they're going and they're asking, they're going to be able to find this. And by the time they say, you know what, we're not going to go back to King Herod, Herod's go it's not going to be a year and a half later, two years. Uh, Herod, he goes, after he realizes that the wise men have lied to him, or they never came back to him to tell him where Jesus was, it says in verses 16 through 18 that uh, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Now, if Jesus was just born and he was in a... Two, in a stable, it makes no sense for Herod to try to go out and kill babies that are two years and under. You say four weeks and under or something, but the fact that uh, it was a year and a half to two years, that's how long uh, Jesus, how old he probably was. It was like a year and a half to two years old. Herod says, I know when the star appeared based off of what the wise men told me, so I'm just going to eliminate every single boy at that age. And so, it like, um, so I think when Jesus was met by the wise men, he was a year and a half to two years old. They met him in a house. Uh, it was not in the stable. And he was a child, not, not an infant, when they, met, they, they went to see Jesus. And when they brought to him, they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, as you know, is a very precious metal. We'd all like to have some more of it, right? We, we'll pass on the other two, but we'll take the gold. And it's probably used to finance their trip to Egypt, which they do shortly after Jesus is born. But then you have frankincense, which is... A white resin or gum, it's kind of like the sap of a tree. They're cutting a special tree, and the stuff that comes out of it is, um, it's used for fragrance, for, for a sweet-smelling smell. Um, it's been used as a, for burning a pleasant uh, offering to the Lord. But there's also myrrh, which is kind of like frankincense. It's obtained the same way by cutting the tree, collecting the sap, and whatever else came out of it. But it was used for embalming, but it was also used to be mingled with the drink, so you can have a, a different tasting drink. Now, a lot of people want to say those, those gifts were symbolic of who Jesus was and, and what he was going to be and how he was going to die. That could be 100% true. I don't know. Um, a commentary I read said those are pretty normal gifts, expensive gifts to give uh, to, to somebody. So they, they brought those to Jesus. We don't really know what else you get them. We're going to give them these things that his parents can use for a sweet-smelling smell so that they can finance whatever needs that they have. Uh, but whatever, maybe they were used exactly as people think. Uh, but either way, these were gifts that these wise men brought to Jesus. So they, they worshiped Jesus by bringing Jesus presents, by bringing him gifts. But they also worshiped Jesus by, with their presence, by being there literally in person. They, they went to Jesus, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. 
Now, if you think about a like a, a year and a half to two year old, how old are your kids? Which is there one? one yeah, okay. How much do you? Yeah. How excited do you think he's going to be if we if I if I buy down and worship him? You're like, what's like uh, what is going on? I mean, who what, who are you? This doesn't mean anything. He's not going to get excited and say, "Wow, I'm a hero for a day." He's just going to be a little kid. And so Jesus, as a as a human, as a baby, is going to be like, "Okay, get away from me. You got that big scary beard. You know, I'm scared of you." But Jesus as God was worshipped in a very special way by what those wise men did. And I think it took a lot of swallowing of a pride for these wise men to do that. They're in a high up position, but they set all their, all their position aside and they got down on their knees and they worshipped Jesus and they gave him the gifts of gold and of frankincense of myrrh and myrrh. They worshipped him with their, their presence as gifts, but they also worshipped him in person with their, their presence as well. Wise men worship Jesus then. Guess what wise men do now? They worship Jesus now. Now I sent out a, um, I sent out a email, uh, kind of a, ex- describing uh, what are ways that you guys worship. And I got two answers, which is plenty. I know it makes you think. If you read it, it makes you think about what are ways to worship. So I just want, uh, since I asked, I'm going to read parts of some answers that I got from from some of you. Uh, one says, we worship Jesus when we give him all of us. If I really love Jesus, I need to give him everything. My life, my husband, my children. I have to put him first, love him more than anything else, and he will take care of the rest. He wants all of our hearts, no holding back. That's one way to worship Jesus. The second one says, my best worship comes when it's quiet and I play the piano. My mind gets lost in the words and it feels like I'm playing for Christ. It's him and me alone, even if there's a crowd. The notes and my fingers pray for me. So giving Jesus all of you, of all that you are, giving Jesus your talents and giving him your abilities are kind of the answers that I'm getting uh, from those uh, as ways to worship Jesus. I have a couple others uh, that are written down from what the Bible says. Um, Our call to worship verse, we read Psalms 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Coming into God's house, and, and worshiping him and just being here, I think, is a form of worship. He give, Offering God our thanks and our praise is something that makes him feel blessed. Using your pretty little voice to sing a song, whether you're singing here in church, whether you're driving down the road, uh, whether you're sitting in a sh- or standing in a shower singing these songs to the Lord, God's, God is blessed by it. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Now, you might be thinking, I don't think I like the way I sound. I don't think anybody else needs to hear it. That's okay. God likes the sound of your voice. If it's crackly or you can't hit that note or if it sounds terrible, God likes the sound of your voice. He gave it to you. Use it to worship him. Uh, Another way is through obedience. Romans 12 says, Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Using your body in obedience is a form of worship to God. That'd be like using your talents and your abilities. The fact that you can sing. Kids, you sing for school. You play music for school. Use it here for the Lord. I'm just going to put out that pitch. I love it when kids get up here and they'll sing and play the piano. You use it for school, use it for the Lord. If you have art skills, I would like to paint. Use it for the Lord. If you play basketball, you use that as an opportunity to bring God glory. Your ability to play music. Whatever it is that God has blessed you with 
as a talent or ability, use it for the Lord. It doesn't have to be better than so-and-so, and it could be better than this person. It doesn't matter. God gave you that ability. Use what you have for the Lord. Use it as an act of worship. The quality of work you do in the place that you do, do it as unto the Lord. That is going to be a form of worship to him. Your motives for doing things, whether you're giving, whether you're, you're bringing, uh, whether you're, you're playing basketball for the Lord, whether you're singing, if you're doing it for yourself or for the Lord, an act of obedience is doing it for the Lord and it will be worship to him. Now this one is my favorite. Uh, this is one that I learned, uh, let's see, probably 20 years ago, 21 years ago. Um, in James chapter 1, verse 27, uh, it says, Religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, if you're familiar with that passage, it doesn't say worship in there. I didn't even say the word worship in there. But the Greek word for the word religion is threskia, which you probably will never remember, even though I did for 20 years, which is a shock. Um, but that word religion, threskia, means worship. You worship God by loving other people. You see somebody who's in need, and you provide for them. You, you see someone who needs some defense. You, you stand up for them. And God sees that as worship. It's just practically looking out and taking care of the needs of others. God sees that as worship. And you worship in spirit and in truth, says John 4.24. Worshiping in spirit means that you mean it, that you're not just going through the motions. When you're singing songs, you're singing them as unto the Lord. If you're doing an act of obedience that God's called you to do, you're doing it because God's asked you to do it. I mean, you're doing it for Him. You're reading the Bible. It's not because, okay, I've got to read my Bible. It's because you want to do it for the Lord. Uh, you know, God knows the difference if we are doing, if we're singing to Him or if we're singing to impress our neighbor or if I'm doing something, I'm giving because everybody else is going to think Josh is such a great guy. God knows the difference. Isaiah 29, verse 13, it says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips. They say all the right things, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. All they're doing, all that they were doing as Isaiah's writing this, is just going through the motions. I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to church because I have to go to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I'm singing these songs because I'm supposed to do it. God sees the difference. I mean, he knows if you genuinely mean it and if you genuinely don't. And it's, we, you might, you're going to fool me. I mean, if you're out there like with a smile and you're happy, I'm, I'm going to be fooled and thinking you like this, but God's not going to be fooled. To worship him in spirit says, I'm going to mean it. I'm not just going through the motions. Worshiping in truth means that I'm worshiping the one true God, that I'm being truthful with my words and thoughts. Uh, that I'm not trying to impress everybody else by, by what I'm doing as a form of worship. My goal is just to worship Jesus. And that I'm only worshiping Jesus. You know, it's easy. There's lots of competitions for the Lord of our life. You know, my job is a competition. And even me, maybe this will sound kind of funny for me to say that, but I can sometimes get wrapped up in that myself. Sometimes I get through these stretches where Leslie's telling me to stop working, which, like, what are you doing? You know, well, it's like, I feel like I got to keep going, and it's like, it's almost as if I'm, I'm just trying to learn, and I'm trying to learn, and I'm trying to prepare, where it's like, almost like, that's consuming my life. And if that's happening to me, I'm sure it could be happening to other people, where my job becomes more important than God, even if I'm doing what God's asked me to do. My sport can become more important to me than my God. My employer, my family, as much as I love my family, I can give everything to them, which takes away time from God. I can make them more important. Jesus is supposed to be the only Lord in my life, 
not with anybody else, not anything else. Now, I think uh, most of us in this room would consider ourselves to be wise. I look at you, and I think you're wise. I know that you've got, you, you know how to work with cattle. I know that you know how to work at the bank and calculate all those things. I know how you know how to deal with kids. And, you know, every day I go into school to get my kids because, and I think of, how does Mrs. Wagner do it? You have all these kids that are playing music, and by the time it's like right before the holiday or before a concert, I'm like, okay, good. That sounds good. <laughs> but all the days after days after days, and it's like it just does not sound good. It's just not, uh, I mean, you, you know she's trying, and it's going to ultimately be good. But I look at you, and I think that you are wise. I think you guys make good choices. And I think if you don't know the answer to something, you know where to look. You can go, you can talk to me if you have a Bible answer. You can Google an answer. You can talk to each other. You can get online. You can go to the library and find the answers. I think you are wise. You make good choices, and you know where to look to find those answers. I just want to encourage you and challenge you to make sure that you're doing the same things in the things of God. You want to know something. You need to know how to live your life. You go to the right source for the answer. But you're not just doing this up here. You're taking this and you're trying to make it come out here through your actions, through your bodies, through your hands and through your feet. And that you are ultimately uh, worshiping God in the process. Wise men seek answers. Wise men live their lives accordingly. The same is true with the things of God. Wise men seek Jesus. Wise men obey Jesus. And wise men worship Jesus. So be wise and seek Jesus this week. Be wiser still and do what he has called you to do. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your patience with me. God, I know at times I would like to pat myself on the back and think that I'm wise. But God, I know that, I mean, you know that um, I, I fill my head with knowledge, uh, I, but I don't always uh, put it into practice as well as I should. And so I just pray for the ability to do that. God, I, I just pray that, God, whatever we do today, whatever we do for this Christmas season would be a form of worship to you in our giving, in our singing, in our acts of obedience to what you've called us to do, that you would be blessed. Thank you for coming to this earth uh, to give us the opportunity to have eternal life. And I just pray, God, that we would remember that and we would share that with others so that they can start out with the best wisdom we can have, and that's having that relationship with you. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name.